0: There we go. We got a few people coming in. I love seeing people join the show. Special folks who I've had hung out with before. Dave's here. Uh, this is great, man. Welcome to On Democracy with FP Wellman on call in. If you're listening to us on the web, I hope you'll download the download the call in app and join us live to talk about our democracy. How we can all help move the nation forward. It's free to download and subscribe. Now all of our shows publish on Apple and Spotify as well. So I hope you'll join us wherever you get your podcast fix. And let's get the show rolling. As always, we gotta start off some tunes, cause that's what I do. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am your host, Fred Wellman. I'm so glad to have you here for the show. This is on Democracy with FP Wellman. If you're on the wrong plane, please disembark before we take off. Now, every show I say it's been an interesting week in our democracy. Like every show. It's in the it's in the script, never changes, and honestly, I think it just seems to be an understatement of hell these days. You know, from uh, all the things coming out of the January 6th hearings to the Supreme Court rulings, which get weirder every day, uh, on top of that, all the truly crazy stuff going on in our electoral politics right now, although we had some good news, some real MAGA, MAGA politicians did lose their races, others did win, like Bobert, and of course Mary Miller, the super fan of Nazis, uh, did win her primary in Illinois, but you know, it, it is what it is. So, I'm really excited to have our guest today help us sort all of it out, offer his unique perspective, and, and, and we'll, and we'll get right to it, you know, uh, I've been a regular reader of John Nichols for some time, and I'm fortunate to have him as a Twitter mutual with whom I chat often. John is a liberal and progressive American journalist and author. He is the National Affairs Correspondent for The Nation. He's the Associate Editor of the Capital Times in beautiful Madison, Wisconsin, one of my favorite towns. Prolific author with many books authored and co-authored, including The Genius of Achievement, Impeachment, The Death and Life of the American Journalist. Now, his latest book was published just in January of this year called Coronavirus criminals and pandemic profiteers. Obviously, I have some strong feelings about the pandemic having run a COVID field hospital in New York. So that book is out, available right now at your finest stores and all. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, and let's get right to it. Welcome to the show. Just do that unmute button on the bottom right, brother. <laughs> I love new apps. ready there
1: you are. Hey, brother, I apologize. I, <laughs> no, you know worry. what happened? You know what, what happened? This is you're going to understand this completely. I was, you know, you said, you had know, a little note, be sure to tweet and let people know. So I was over on Twitter, and then I couldn't get myself
0: back. <laughs> <laughs> Did the right thing. I'm not going to call you Luddite. You're not. You're nope. you're clearly well-read on all technology. Welcome to Colin, man. Welcome to the app. I'm glad. Got you to download it, too. So welcome to call We're glad to have you. There's some good stuff in this platform. I hope you'll check it out. Definitely it looks done. great. A few of my, I noticed that several of my friends. I know, right? Um, it's a, it's yep. it's growing. They're doing a great job of growing the phone. We've got some terrific, oh, my gosh, some terrific show, so I hope you'll check it out. So, well, man, uh, I guess let's just get right to it. Yesterday's surprise hearing was, well, insane. I mean, <laughs> I mean <laughs> you know, there's so much to take away from it. I mean, Honest to God, John, I mean, I don't say this lightly. I, there was a couple of, there was three or four times there I was watching that thing, and I caught myself covering my mouth with a, you know, what the fuck? I mean, I'm it's just young. amazing. I mean, uh, so, you know, you've had about 24 hours to think about it. I mean, what stands out for you? I mean, there was just so much to digest. Absolutely. So first off, I'm going to
1: let you in on a little secret of how uh, I love it. journalists work, okay? <laughs> I love secrets. Um, we usually assume that all the news is going to come at the start, right? Right. It's like a press conference or something, you, you know. And so so I'm talking to my editor at The Nation, and, uh, you know, Cassidy Hutchinson comes on. This is, this, you know, the surprise hearing, and, oh, she's going to. You know, blow it out here. We're going to see some really amazing things. We're going to be blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm always cautious about the hype, but it was clear in the first, like, 20 minutes, this wasn't hype. Right. This was huge. And yeah. so I called my editor uh, on the break, you know, where Benny Thompson did a little break there between the two uh, hours. And I said, well, I'm going to start writing because this is so amazing. This is such an incredible... Uh, set of revelations because uh, I can't believe anything that they do in the second part will be bigger than what they do in the first Wow, man. That's how, that's how unprepared I was for <laughs> what, what came. And so you asked me for my, my takeaways. And my takeaways are this. Uh, if we pause and take a deep breath, what we understand occurred at this hearing on on Tuesday, was that a close aide of Donald Trump and mm-hmm. Mark Meadows, person with you know deep access to the White House, and frankly, by by all accounts,
0: a true believer, somebody who was right. there, you know, you know it's mean, a Tea Party. She worked for Mark Meadows. She worked for Freedom Cook. I mean, this this is not your run of the mill you know congressional aide with neutral opinions. She was no. a true
1: believer. She's down with this whole project and, and the whole bit. So, um, and and what happened really, if this was being done as a movie, it would be um, the, this a, a relatively innocent experience but relatively innocent person coming to realize that they were in the belly of the beast, that they yeah. were in a place of, of horror. Right. And And she took you through that. Remember, the testimony starts a few days out, you know, January 2nd, stuff like that, and the intensity grows until when you're finally in that, you know, as you're on the night before, and then The day itself. And and I guess if I if I summed it up, you know, in in one line, it was that line about Trump uh, with the magnetometers where he was saying, um, you know, they're not here to hurt me. Right. You know, that's I think that that's where an awful lot of people who were listening to this came away saying, wow, he knew exactly what was going on. He knew exactly what the intents were. He was indeed he is indeed guilty of
0: seditious conspiracy. Right, right. And that was the shock moment. That was one of the shocking moments for me. One of those. Probably people. the most. Because, because it did make it very clear that, that he understood that there was a potential for violence, that he was okay with it, because he understood that he was not going to be the target. And then, of course, you, you have to remember that was while he was backstage, right? So then he went yep. to a speech and he said, you know, Mike Pence is going to let us down. We're going to be with you at the, and he, he encouraged the crowd to move their way towards the, towards the, um, Uh, capital. And, and there's no question in our minds, right? We know what's coming. They're gonna tie all this together in a bow. Uh, you know, it's, it's going. Now you've seen, you know, we've seen our friends on the right and, and of course in MAGA world spinning, spinning, spinning. It's all hearsay. It's all hearsay. Um, <laughs> it's a lot, you know, you know, a lot of hearsay. A lot of hearsay. heard a lot. But we also, <laughs> you know, we heard there that there was going to, they knew Vaughn was going to have, she quoted, I mean, she was actually part of the conversation with yep. uh Mark Meadows and Pat Cipollone, where Cipollone urged him to do more as the crowd was chanting, hang Mike Pence. But Meadows said that, quote, you heard him, Pat. He thinks Pence deserves it. So that's not hearsay. I mean, I I saw a lot of really smarter lawyers than me, because I'm not a lawyer, by the way, uh, for saying, yeah, nice try. That's not hearsay. I mean, the implications for that are staggering here for Trump, right? I mean, it's staggering for Trump. No, this is
1: criminal. This is, you know, seditious conspiracy is a 20-year jail sentence. Okay. Just so you know. Uh, And a a huge fine and the whole bit. Uh, The real stuff. Um, Yeah. and, And I think that, that, As we're talking, you know, kind of early on here about some of the revelations of the hearing, too, um, I I think that 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 one of the things that kind of, as you suggest, ties the bow and ties it tightly is if you go back to the initial uh, hearing, the initial televised hearing, uh, Congressman Benny Thompson said up front. um, This was a coup attempt and there was a conspiracy and Donald Trump was at the center of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And. And so, at that point, that was a a strong assertion, a a relevant statement by any means, uh, but something that that obviously they were going to have to to prove. Um, And, you know, the the fact of the matter is that uh, yesterday you started to see the proof come in. And one of the places where it came in that was fascinating is, and I bet you're as guilty of this as I am, an awful lot of us think of Donald Trump as... You know, a, a mess of a human being, right. a coward, right? And right. so a lot of us assumed that that when he got up before that crowd on January 6th and said, I'm going to march with you to the Capitol, that he was lying to them, right? right? What we learned yesterday was he wasn't lying to them. He may still be a coward. He still may still be a mess of a man. But yep. he intended to march to the Capitol with people he knew were armed. Right with the purpose of overturning the presidential election results and installing himself as an illegitimate commander in chief of the United States of America. Yep. He fully intended that he became irate when barriers were placed in the way of him doing that. Uh, and then frankly, one of the, I think almost lost realities of, of, uh, Cassidy, Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony was this suggestion that, that Trump, uh, may have actually intended to lead the crowd into the Capitol itself, to, to physically go in with right. them right. and to go to the floor of Congress or something. I mean, this is, this is stuff. Uh, I mean, it's, it's the stuff of movies. Right. Right. That's
0: stuff. A movie set in the United States. <laughs> no, it, it, it was shocking. Uh, mm-hmm. And look, you can you can discount. And I think what, what we're seeing on the right, especially is some of the apologists um, have been saying, look, you know, that whole bit about, you know, it's physically impossible. Grab the steering wheel, blah, blah. And they're using that sort of as a wedge to discount the entire thing. But the fact is, I, actually, you know what? Brad Moss did an outstanding job. Attorney Brad Moss did it. He did a little Twitter thread, and I kind of laid it out because that's what I do. But he said, yeah, you can say all that you want, but there's." she laid out the core portions of the criminal argument, right, it, that she personally witnessed. Number one, the White House had intelligence that uh, the 1-6 crowd was armed. People going through the MAG towers had been armed, and weapons were confiscated. On top of that, police had seen weapons outside the security bubble, and they weren't going in to avoid losing their weapons. Two, Meadows told the crowd, is told, Meadows is personally told, the crowd is armed. He doesn't mm-hmm. care. She mm-hmm. saw that. Mm-hmm. Three, Trump is told the crowd is armed. He doesn't care. She saw that behind the stage. Mm-hmm. Number four, Trump gets so mad that the magnetometers are threatening his crowd, um, the crowd shot he demanded, that the U.S. service, he wants them to back down, let everyone in. And when they're told about the safety concerns, mm-hmm. as you just mentioned, he says he doesn't care because they're not there to hurt him. And then five, Trump was clear before his speech he wanted to go to the Hill and march the crowd. They told him, no, we know that he tried to make it happen. Number six, Mm -hmm. after the speech, Trump is told they're not marching with the crowd. He's pissed. He planned to march. Those are all, that's the criminal argument, right? That's correct, right? That lays it out nicely. All that sidebars, the, the hearsay discussions, and the colorful commentary about him throwing throwing things on the wall which really got me madder than it should have <laughs> but yeah because yeah. yeah, yeah, it's yeah. our white house i've been to the white i mean yeah but still the I, line you know, ketchup on the wall is right i know a memorable line oh my god one of my friends i i, I tweeted yeah. out yesterday one of our good friends here in st louis went out in her back porch and wrote lock him up and i saw him it. it i <laughs> saw yeah. that yeah. <laughs> like it was viral She's, it's, a yeah, it's a meme like you did a meme good but anyway but yeah. back to the topic at hand that colorful that all takes away from the core yeah, facts, absolutely that so the elements of her here right
1: you're absolutely here, and let's let's do one thing. Let's let's unpack one element of this. Okay. Um, the only thing, yeah, you say the occasional hearsay arguments. Right. But the only thing, basically, that any you know you had any kind of major pushback on was the description of what happened in the car in the right? beast, right? Right. And and that's understandable because that's the jaw, That's pretty jaw dropping stuff. But I just want to emphasize to you that the Secret Service didn't say that was inaccurate. They said their people are prepared to testify. Uh, That they have cooperated. That's a very significant thing. They say they've cooperated and if indeed they've been cooperating along the way with this and the committee still felt it was credible to have Cassidy Hutchison testify as she did to what happened in the car. I would suggest to you, we do not know that there's going to be A a legitimate effort to discredit that there may be there may be somebody says, oh, well, he didn't actually lunge or maybe he didn't actually touch the wheel or something like that. But what I would say was quite striking is this anonymous source who they're saying will will suggest that it wasn't quite as violent as suggested did not in any way downplay the fact that the president wanted to be driven to the Capitol. And that, my friend, is all that matters. Okay. The only thing that matters is the intent, you know, whether there was actual physical violence or, you know, some debate about, you know, pushing and shoving or whatever. The That's to the side of it. The mm-hmm. core reality is this. As you just well outlined, Donald Trump knew that there were people with weapons who wanted to go to the Capitol of the United States at the point mm-hmm. when the certification of the presidential election was taking place and to interrupt that certification with the purpose of preventing the individual who defeated him for president of the United States from being certified as the winner of the election so that Donald Trump could play out a conspiracy that would ultimately lead to him being inserted as an illegitimate president for another, I presume, four years. Yep. That's, that's seditious conspiracy yeah it' does, you don't need, you don't need the ketchup on the wall and you don't need a lunge at a secret service agent. The core storyline, which has not been challenged right uh, the core storyline is is sufficient to build the framework for a seditious, seditious conspiracy charge. Now you still have to fill that framework in. You need to have additional witnesses who come and say yes. What Ashley Hutchison said about this did occur. Here are my notes on it. Here's some detail on that. Someone else to come and say, yes, here's some video that shows this. And you know what I mean? You yeah. put all the pieces together. That's what a lawyer does. That's why they get paid a decent salary. And at the end of the day, though, I I think that John Dean, uh, the Watergate, uh, well, Watergate figure and former White yeah. House counsel, got it right when he said the next testimony that Ashley
0: or that Cassidy Hutchinson will give, will be before a grand jury. I agree. Yeah, I think so, too, because she is an eyewitness. I mean, that's one of the most important things I keep walking away though is that she's a very compelling eyewitness to these key elements, right? And and that that really, I think, more than even some of the other hearings, I think, I mean, I think the DOJ one was very compelling. Um, yes. I, you know, I, I thought the state... The state level one was very compelling. You know, the way I, I said in a previous show when I was talking to um, Glenn Kirshner about it, you know, the way they did a great job of prosecuting their case by taking one element of it, you know, the state of Georgia's issues from Brad Rathenberger's side of it all the way through Miss Shea and Lady Ruby and the impact they had. While all that was, you know, pretty powerful. Having someone who was in the room that day and the first time we've able to see it, you know, truly was in the room, I think mm-hmm. was really co- powerful. I, I think you're right. Grand jury is next. And, and we do kind of know that. I mean, what you know, that's that brings my next question. I mean, so the case really is building towards seditious conspiracy and, and the elements are falling into place. Now, now, what do you think on from your perspective, do you think needs to be shown now? I mean, as yes. we come up to that, what what is going to make this impossible to ignore by the Department of Justice, do you think? Well, A, I think it's impossible at this point. Yeah. Well, I they, I well that was my really next, said. I guess that's the yeah. caveat. Like, or have <laughs> we <really laughs> cross that line? I think <laughs> you're right. I mean, that I would say I think you're right. I mean, but yeah. I'm an optimist. I, we'll talk about it later. I've got this weird optimism thing going on lately. But yeah, I would say you're right. But go on. So so understand this. And I'm going to back up your optimism. Then I'm going to answer your question. First Thanks. and foremost,
1: um, uh, Benny Thompson, who I think, Liz Cheney gets you know, a lot of the attention. And she's done some very, very important work here. But Benny Thompson is actually the person to watch because he's the guy who keeps laying out what they're going to do. And they do it. (laughs) It's very interesting. He does it, you know, in a very straight, you know, to the point way. He doesn't speak for as long as other people. But boy, he's got a plan. And, you know, he said at the start of this, this was a coup attempt. Donald Trump was at the center of it. Those two lines are the critical lines. Right. So I don't think they would have started these hearings in the arc that they're on if they didn't know that they could prove that point. Right. Yeah. So I think now it's all a matter of proving that point. Right. And that's then brings us to the second element, which is, as you say, the other hearings were compelling. This one was overwhelming. It was so powerful. The reason for that is because, of course, the core question is always do we get to Trump? Right. right? Question. Same with Watergate. Right. You know, it was do we get to Nixon? You know, was it, did you really want Haldeman? Sure. That's fine. But but you want Nixon. And so the, the thing is, are they going to get to Trump? This was the hearing where, although the other hearings certainly pointed in the direction very powerfully, this is the one where you, I think everybody, even people over at Fox, <laughs> were, were sort of saying, man, you know, yeah. this is getting to Trump. So then that that all that's set up to answer your question. And the core answer to your question is this. Oh, let me put it another way. Your question was answered by Liz Cheney. Because in her last soliloquy there, as they were about to finish off the hearing, she said, you know, if you haven't testified yet, if you're not cooperating with us, this is the time to do it. Right. She's essentially signaling it's yeah. the time. And we know exactly who she's talking to. We know that she is talking to the former White House counsel, Cipollini. We know that she is talking to Meadows. We know that she is talking to, interestingly enough, because it's a crowded White House, probably about a half dozen other people in that White House. They are looking now. They've got other folks. They're not done. They've, they've got if you will, they've got ammunition. You know what I mean? They're they're prepared for the additional hearings. But what they're really looking for now is to break loose um, some of those big players so that you can actually get somebody to come across, uh, A, to support everything that Hutchinson said, but B, to take it to the next step because that's where you really get powerful. If Remember, I, I, I think it's summed up visually as well as uh, in another way. Um, the point where... White House counsel runs in to the White House chief of staff and says, it's really getting violent over at the Capitol. You know, police are losing control of the place. There's, you know, bodies, you know, things are this is insane. Uh, We got to go talk to the president. Right. And Meadows doesn't want to. But ultimately, um, you know, Cipollini says, we're going. I'm going to go even if you aren't. So Meadows puts his phone down. He goes, what we need to do is walk down that hallway with them. And get into that office with the president. Right. right? We need to, and and it do, you can still make a case without that, but it's clear that's what the committee wants. The yeah. committee wants to take that 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 you know twenty foot, hundred foot, whatever, how many feet it is. Walk down the hallway, go into the room with the president, and have somebody say, uh, "President said, I don't want to do anything right now. I I I think they're right. I." You know, Mike, let us down, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it dots the I's, crosses the T's. Now, I know some listeners to this podcast will they say, uh, we don't need that. We got enough. Um, the, the fact of the matter is the committee well understands that this is a process of building a case. And I think we are at the point where you could do an indictment. Yeah. But the question is, do you are you dealing with hostile witnesses or are you dealing with people who are willing to cooperate Even, even unhappily, but willing to cooperate, and I think that is what the committee. That's why the committee did this uh, surprise hearing. That's why the drama around this, all the everything that's going with it, because they are trying now to you know take those steps across the bridge, right? To take us that next that next place. If they do it, then we are in a we are you know we're beyond the question of whether Department of Justice will take this up. We are then at the point of. When will the trial occur?
0: Now, Rick, one of our listeners, Rick, this is a lot, so I appreciate your comment on the message board. On the message board, he's like, hey, you know, he's – LMAO, you also think we have institutional norms, right? (laughs) You know, this is a campaign stunt. They aren't referring anybody to prosecution. All the people who are going to jail already got arrested. You know, Rick, you know – well, you know, when you do get, when you put my optimism right, you know, it's hard not to say that we, we talk about oh, sure. institutions being destroyed. I mean, I understand yeah. completely what he's saying. I mean, it, it is hard to believe, and I have questioned that myself. I mean, our I mean, we we have heard. We haven't heard Dick. I mean, let's be honest, from DOJ in a lot of ways, yeah. Merrick Garland hasn't... Yeah, we're prosecuting the guys who broke shit. Yeah, yeah, uh, you, know, uh, you know. People I mean, who dressed I, up funny. Yeah, right. I mean, I, 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 it's hard not to argue with Rick that maybe he's not he's not an inaccurate. Oh. His, his pessimism is is highly justified. I mean, what, what, do, you, what do you answer that, John? We all doubt it, right? You, you, we both come from that world.
1: Yep, I'm not going to argue at all uh, with yeah. him. In fact, I'm going to be very blunt here. Yeah. Um, the reason I believe that there will, that we could get there. I shouldn't say that we will get there. Right, sure, but why, right. That we could get there, get to that bigger level that, you know, again, we all go back to that Watergate comparison, um, is is because if... I
0: lost you for a second there, John. I'm not sure that our listeners did too. ...of
1: it, okay. and, um, and now you know that, and we're not going to do anything about it. Okay. Right? So the fact of the matter is, I actually think I, I would put this on the other side. I, I, I would ask Rick to be more cynical, right? <laughs> right. And, and to understand that when you launch a political initiative, you know, and, and all of this is about politics, understanding it. But when you launch this, if you do not see it through, you undercut all of the work that you've done and you hand a, a, a tool to the other side. And let me emphasize this: more people in the U.S. Senate voted to impeach Donald Trump, right, than it ever than you've ever had. You had more of a crossover there. You had all this. You had this incredible level of support for impeachment of Donald Trump. The House voted to do it. An overwhelming majority of senators voted to convict him. Uh, didn't get to the the two thirds level, but yet an overwhelming majority, including Democrats and Republicans. And what did Donald Trump say the next day? Vindicated. Right. Right. You know, the fact of the matter is that at this point, if this is not seen through, Donald Trump will actually weaponize this against the committee
0: and against the Democratic Party. Right. Right. They've gone in. So, yep. you know, either you go all the way or, you, you, again, you can't go halfway. Once you've crossed the Rubicon, and I think you're right, I think the Rubicon got crossed. Um, you yep. know, I always take, put things in a military perspective, and that's my <laughs> background, right? It's like, sure. you know, you've committed to the attack. You can't half-ass it anymore, right? It's, no. you've in got, fact, you've the got retreat
1: the retreat would be horrific. right? And um, and so to to Rick, believe me, uh, I, I understand his, his frustration and his cynicism. I've covered politics long enough. Uh, yeah. to have seen you know, the Democratic Party snatch uh, defeat from <laughs> the jaws of victory. <laughs> they are masters. On. They're masters at it. But at this, on this one, I, I don't think you go this far in. You mm-hmm. know, and, and, and I've said this from the beginning, and I, I've talked to members of the committee quite a bit, um, and, and they have always been confident. I interviewed Jamie Raskin you know, two months before the hearings began. Yeah. And he said you're going to be blown away. This is yeah. this is going to this is going to be big. And so they have for a long time I think had a real understanding that what they're doing is a uh dramatic,
0: it's powerful, but B uh it ultimately has to be definitional. Yeah, I think so. And I I Denver Riggleman still saying that. I've known Denver. I've I've drank his I drank. I've gone to his <laughs> distillery. <laughs> and and, and Denver saying the same thing. Like this is just um, this is just the beginning. Uh, there's reams and reams of evidence that they just haven't shown. Uh, it right. was, And I do want to go back to what Glenn Kirshner said in our show last week. Glenn said, you know, the thing about a case with this much evidence – um, the lesson he learned as a federal prosecutor is you can over prosecute a case. Right. You can actually, you can flood the zone with every piece of evidence you have, but the jury will actually tune out because it's too much. And That's so you right. have to create a story. You have to prosecute the case with the right evidence, the right size. And in many ways, he feels very strong as a prosecutor. That's what they've done here. That they're, like, for example, that one with the state, with Georgia, they, 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 they took the Georgia line of effort and, and showed that as the, the example of the larger efforts that are going on in other states, right? So, Mm-hmm. So I do. While well, I think a lot of people say, you know, and it's funny because the other side does say, "Oh, see, they're not showing all the thousands of hours of tape." Well, of course not, because we would be immune to it. You know, how much how much empty hallways can you watch? Um, well, it's fascinating. Yeah.
1: Well, let me offer one notion here. On yes, this, sir.
0: Having covered a lot
1: of these things, um, the the thing that this January sixth committee is doing right is that they are rejecting every norm of how congressional committees have ever worked up to this point, <laughs> right? right? Because, you know, congressional committees destroy themselves right. by their egos, right? And so um, at, if you've got 10, 11, 12, 15, 20 people on a committee, everybody's got to make an opening statement. Everybody's got to ask a question. Everybody's got They haven't done that. No. They have basically said to a lot of members, you know what? this is basically going to be run by a couple of members each session. It's going to be very focused with a handful of witnesses, not a, you know, you know, a a cavalcade, not a parade. And we're going to get to a point each time, right? It's not going to, we're not going to get off track. We're not going to lose the narrative. And they have done that. Yep. And so I have to believe, you know, and I've, I've, I've come to this belief, right? I didn't start with it. I've come to this belief that, um, that there's an end game that it gets someplace right right? that they're going to continue doing this. They will put each piece in place. And at the end of it, the only real debate will be about the recommendations. What will the recommendations be? How sweeping will they be? How specific will they be? And there will be some differences. I expect there'll be a little push and pull uh, because they have two sets of recommendations they have to do. One is for specific uh, legal action, right? Potential prosecutions, Etc. And I know that there's some debate on the committee about how specific to be. Uh, I think on that one, Liz Cheney is actually a good player. She seems to really specifically want to get, you know, to the heart of the matter on that. And then there's also the policy, which is just as important. Accountability drives policy. And on that, I think Jamie Raskin's the driving force. And it is that they want to really lay out a vision for how you have to reform a lot of what we do. So that
0: this never happens again. And that was exactly where I was. My next question was that then that's what I hope. And I'm hopeful that's what a, it's a proper congressional committee leads to. The fact is, one of my frustrations for years, I've said, if, if anyone on the show has followed me for a while. One of the things I've said for years is that so what Trump showed us that how many of our institutions relied on decent people or mm-hmm. the norms and traditions that weren't truly backed by law. And, 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 and when you have a man like Trump, whose first question is, what's legal? And then, how can I get around it? Uh, as opposed to what's appropriate, um, he he showed us very clearly how weak this idea of using norms and traditions as the basis of our government in so many ways um, was weak. The Hatch Act. I if we, if we didn't learn the Hatch Act is completely useless. I, you know, with, with with Goya beans and everything else. I oh, mean, yeah. it, it, right? Oh. We, we you could drive a train to the Hatch Act because it comes down to their boss being you know holding the line, and their boss like it, i don't care and so if nothing we have to we have to find they have to tighten the rules I and mean, and everything from that from from hatch act to um, every the Electoral Count Act, which I do understand, there is a movement towards reforming all those things. We have to tighten the laws because, we, we, look, it's not if there'll be another Trump. The danger is a smarter one, right? That's the that's Uh-oh. what people keep and saying. We got DeSantis, one running. right? Right. DeSantis we got one running right already. There. Yeah, right. It's, it's, right. And, and probably have two or three of them, to be honest. One hundred percent. Cotton, yeah. Cotton, cruise. I mean, yeah. the list you know, the list goes on and on of yeah. of wannabe uh, uh, authoritarians that are lining up, chomping at the bit to have the opportunity to uh, to take over these things. And I, I just, that's what I, I, mean, I do believe there's two, there is two prongs. There is the federal yeah. prosecutions, but in the end, we have to tighten our laws and it has to happen quickly. Um, on that point, and that, uh, probably the, the the end point of that hearing discussion is, it is the, the that final bit, right? Where they showed the text messages, uh, hey, you know, good luck tomorrow. You know, Trump's reading <laughs> the, pro- um, you know, pretty, pretty open case. And that's where, that's where Liz came in, right? With, uh yeah. You know, well, witness tampering. I mean, there's a, there's a door that opened. I mean, a lot of people are speculating who that might be. Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh,
1: <laughs>
0: no, I know. I'm a dreamer. Nope. But, yeah. The
1: truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, I expect that it isn't one. Yeah, several. I expect it's a number of folks. And because you know what really, what does kind of scare people is, right? It, it's somebody they know who they sort of trust, right? Right. And so for different witnesses, it could be different people. But if you know Donald Trump, now we're starting to really get into the area where Donald Trump is. This is his area of specialty. Right. Right. Intimidation, threats, pressure. Um, It's how he ran his business. It's how he ran his White House. And so I I think it's absolutely clear. I don't think there's any question that they have. They've got the receipts. Right. They've got the right. The texts, the emails, the voicemail messages, whatever. And they what Liz Cheney did. Was not she wasn't speculating? I don't think. I think she was communicating. She was saying, "You know, I just want you to know we're on to you. We got this stuff." And and I think that wasn't a message to the people who've been tamping or tampering with the process. Um, There may or may not be an inquiry into that, and there may or may not be some some efforts to to deal with that. I think that was a message to the people who are getting the threats. Right. Right. That we know that you've been threatened. And you are not cooperating at this point. And if we begin to examine the threats, it won't be the, for the purpose of, you know, being concerned about some aid, you know, communicating a threat from Trump. It will be for the purpose of communicating that you bent to that threat. right? That you, Mark Meadows, or you, you know, name the, name the list of people, that you, um, you didn't cooperate in something of this importance because you were afraid Donald Trump wouldn't like you. And right. that goes, by the way, I know to somebody who's sort of got hero status to, with some folks, that goes right up to Donald
0: or right up to Mike Pence. Yeah, it does, and Meadows, and and it, it, a lot of, the of folks. And, yeah, I think I think that was, um, and 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 that one. It was interesting to me is you know you kind of judge things by how MAGA world packs up on things, <laughs> um, and they're all avoiding that.
1: Oh <laughs> you yeah, know? You, you know what I mean? because cause it's oh, so yeah. very.
0: Uh, you know, it's so very cut and dry like that. I mean, those texts were really clear. I mean, when you say, just so you know, Trump's been reading the transcripts. Oh, shit. I mean, I mean that, come on. th- yeah, that yeah. was one of those oh, shit moments. Like, oh, uh, that's pretty effing that clear. Puts you know? you in the, that
1: puts the person making that communication in the room with Trump, right? Yeah. Or, you know, in the circle. And then one other thing that you raised there that was really important is about the recommendations that come out, right? The recommendations that come out of this are going to, and I've, I've written a lot about this over the years. I always believe accountability drives policy. I believe that that we got campaign finance reforms out of Watergate, right? They were undone by the courts, but we got some real movement. We got ethics reforms out of Watergate. Uh, You go back to the 1930s, we got banking reforms, right, out of the investigations into bankers during the Depression. And so on this one, you have to have two levels of reform that you want to talk about. One level is the immediate stuff, Electoral Count Act, things like that. Um, which we sh- should act on quickly, and 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 maybe we even can. The other level is to talk about our system, and there has to be some acknowledgement that, uh, and maybe they don't know, formally. I don't know where they end up going, but there has to be some acknowledgement that as long as we have the electoral college, and we have fifty different, fifty-one different systems for counting votes and for running elections and for all of these other structural things, we got kind of a mess. Right, right. We have a we have we we have a system that has threats written into it. And we could counter some of them. But in the long term, we do have to acknowledge that there are some systemic flaws here that need to be understood and potentially addressed. And that's going to be a big deal. And I think there'll right. be some debate on the committee about how to do that. I, I think that, that if this committee does its work, though, if they really get to the heart of the matter and prove some fundamental things, I think they could open up some great big new discussions in the United States about how to how to create a
0: better democracy, about and, and our and democracy. to live up to the live right. up to the name of your show. Right. That, and that's that's the whole point. Right. I mean, that, <laughs> yeah, I love it. It was <laughs> why I got it. You know, and I think that's absolutely it. That we we do have to question these assumptions. We do. If we if we walk away from the Trump era with without saying, OK, our institutions aren't what we thought they were. Um, yep. they, they've never been tested. Too many people said, oh, it's fine. Um, and, and, and I do, and, 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 and to, I'm sure some of our listeners would agree it, is Mr. Biden the guy for that? (laughs) You know, know, I mean, you know, you couldn't have more of a norms and traditions kind of guy than Joe Biden. It's always why I get nervous when you put a senator in the the presidency. Let's be honest. They they, they get along. It's all about committee work. I mean, I'm not necessarily sure that Biden is the right leader to really, truly upend our institutions and our norms, but Having said that, I'm, I, well, am, I hopefully our Congress asked the hard questions.
1: I, I agree. I, I share some of your concerns, but I, I think I, I've always believed this. It is, it's my heart and soul faith that um, it doesn't matter who the president is. If the moment is there, hmm. things happen. And so um, you got your initial movement, the first movement in the better part of 100 years on civil rights under Dwight Eisenhower. Right. right? Yeah. Um true. you got LBJ. environmental, you got massive environmental reforms under Richard Nixon. Yeah. Right? Why did that happen? It didn't happen because Dwight Eisenhower became the best guy in the room. No, it happened because there was a civil rights movement that was beginning to take shape and really taking off and and there was a response to it. Why did you get the environmental stuff under Nixon? It was because Earth Day, people in the streets, there was something happening and and there was a response to it. One of the things that we way underestimate is the power of the moment right? Yeah. The power of, of what's revealed. So that's what takes us back to this committee, because if this committee does its job on steroids, right, if it if it really delivers, um, we might, even for our most cynical friends, you know, on your whatever board they're on, <laughs> um, we might actually get to one of those rare moments where whoever the president is, whoever's in Congress, they feel for political reasons, they got to do some stuff.
0: Yeah. I like it. Now on that note, I mean let's <laughs> shift let's shift across the street. Um you, bet. you know, on top of all the action in the hearings, we have also had action across the street Supreme Court. A lot yeah. of action. You know, and it does it does tie in exactly segue to what we were just talking about, the institutional challenges we have. We now have a very um uh, an arm of the Republican Party uh, yeah, that yes. masquerades—you know—that wears yeah. that just wears robes to work. It's um, the third chamber of the legislative it is. branch, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, the, I mean, we've had the ruling on the go- the concealed weapons. We've had the, the Roe v. Wade. We've got we've got other ones pending oh. that are you know gutting. I mean, the Establishment Clause,
1: right? The Establishment Church Clause state itself. state separation. I mean, it, it, I mean list one getting after getting another, long.
0: it's getting insane. I mean, where does this put us as a nation? I mean, what can we what can be done? We we've got. I mean, there's activist courts and There's whatever the fuck this is. I don't even know what to say. You, you, know? need, I mean, a new, you need a new Yeah, I mean, what, yeah. The, what the fuck? Okay. I mean, honestly, so where does it put us, John? I mean, what's, sure. your, what's your spin on that? Well, I mean, I think here's the thing. If, if, if Anybody, and I bet you got
1: undoubtedly such a brilliant group of listeners that I don't even have to explain this, hmm. but there's a concept in, in, um, in science and in, in technology of what's called Moore's Law. Uh, and... The old concept of Moore's law is that for a long time we sort of we have science fiction, right? We have utopian novels, we speculate about what we can do but we can't really do it. And right. then when the technology finally gets good enough to do it, just to do one thing, then under Moore's law everything explodes, right? It it just takes off, right? You can then you can do all the things. And we've seen that with robotics, we've seen that with a lot of other stuff. Well, mm-hmm. that concept can also occur in in the construct of Supreme Court. You know, for a long time, for decades, we've been talking about, boy, what this court could do, right? How bad it could be if you got the right construction of justices or the wrong construction in our case. Um, Well, they've hit the Moore's law moment, right? Right. And this session is where you are seeing what they can do. And this is nothing it's, I shouldn't say it. I, That's the wrong way to say it. Obviously, they've done some of their biggest ones with Roe and stuff like that. But this is not the end. It, it, that's a better way to say it. Yeah. Um, they are going to do much, much more. It, only the most naive and uh, you know, not just ridiculously optimistic person would imagine that somehow they're going to stop at what they've done. In fact, in a way, I actually think they're trying to communicate it. Um, you, you don't put out this many major decisions on guns, on church-state separation, on a woman's right to choose, on issue after issue after issue, they going to the extreme, going to the, to the, the most radical stance. I mean, they're clearly softening us up for when the court does something else that's just as bad or worse. What, what am I talking about? The complete gutting of labor law in this country. Right. Literally, you know, just gutting out, you know, the Wagner Act and gutting out all that. Um, the complete gutting of privacy protections as regards the LGBTQ community, uh, an assault on marriage equality, an assault on civil rights itself, on, on core premises of civil rights. And can I and I'm going to really I don't mean to scare people, but you understand that our concepts of freedom of the press and free speech are not grounded in stuff that happened 230 years ago. It's grounded in a series of court decisions in the nineteen teens and particularly nineteen twenties and, and beyond that, which began to expand the concept of a clear protection of freedom of press, a clear protection of free speech. And many of those decisions didn't even come until the fifties and the sixties. And so um, a court that is willing to start undoing its own precedents, even precedents from within the lifetimes of living people um, you have to start to worry that they will go for the big stuff, that they will go for a, a real deconstruction of civil rights, civil liberties and, and premises that we assume are locked in, but in fact, have not always been locked in. Well, that's terrifying. Thanks. So, uh,
0: and I <laughs> apologize. And, and there goes my, there is my fucking optimism. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and, and on top of that, we've got just I mean, the crazy you know, Justice Thomas is saying so, – is, is, has certainly come out of his shell, hasn't he, right? Yeah, and, he, he's, he's speaking uh, now. Yeah, and yeah. I saw someone DM me the other day saying, I think it's a sign that he knows the end is coming. Like, I don't know. I think it's a sign that he thinks he's empowered bold. That, I, and emboldened. I think – I apologize. Court. You're right. Uh,
1: yeah. And I think – look, we have to understand something. It was Amy Coney Barrett. That's that's where the action is. That's I know we did. focus a lot on Kavanaugh. I know we focus yeah. a lot on, on Gorsuch. That's appropriate. Kavanaugh and Gorsuch both lied to Congress. They both lied to, uh, you know, I mean, if you could call it a lie when you tell somebody something they want to hear, they both lied to Susan Collins. Right. Um, but but when you put Amy Coney Barrett on that court, that's why they rushed to do it, you know, yeah. at, the, at the last minute. When you put her on there, you you created a dynamic where Roberts was clearly disempowered, that he is now, he's on the sidelines kind of saying, hey, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. Yeah. Yeah. Alito was empowered. And this is the, this is the story that, that Supreme Court watchers have got to catch up with. Samuel Alito is now a, a profoundly empowered justice who is pursuing the agenda that he has wanted to pursue for a long time. Yeah. And if you read his old rulings and his old dissents, what you find mm. is he's got a long agenda. It doesn't stop with Roe. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I think you're right, and uh, that is definitely what we're seeing. And it's, it's gonna, and you know, when you, when you, the hints are all there. They're, they're literally telegraphing it, right? They've, they've telegraphed the things they want to come after, uh, and their fundamental rights. And yep. I don't know where it ends. I mean, and, and, and I know, and that brings me my last point. I think, you know, I think a lot of Americans feel powerless, right, in front of all this. You know, how do, they, how do you fight back? You know, well, how do we, easy. how do we stop this yeah. rust right? What are your thoughts?
1: Well, that's an easy one. It's, oh, I love it's it it's very. No, that, I mean, I, they know it. You know it. We all know it. Right. Um, the we always say the most important election of our lifetime. Right. The most important election of our lifetime was 2016. Yep. And the good guys lost. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Just to be clear. Yeah. Um, so now it's cleanup, right? Uh, but uh, certainly the most important election of this year is for control of the United States Senate. Yes. It's that we don't. And everybody knows that. I, I feel like a you know a kind of. Fool to even state it, but I, I guess we have to emphasize it. Yeah, um, the the United States Senate must have for for us to be able to address all the stuff we're talking about here. It's got to have fifty three to fifty four U.S. Democratic U.S. senators. That yeah. is a jaw dropping number to throw out. People even get scared when you mention it. But the simple fact of the matter is that John Fetterman, you know, John Fetterman's got to win in Pennsylvania. Uh, Ryan's got to win in, uh, Ohio. Uh, some, one of the, uh, many capable candidates in Wisconsin has got to win and beat Ron Johnson. So you got to flip those three seats right there. You got to do that. And you got to be looking at North Carolina or someplace else. And I know I cover politics for a living. I know exactly how hard that is. I know all the barriers. I know all the, you know, the, the, the midterm curse, the tides of money, the frustrations with Biden. I understand all of that. So I understand it's hard. I'm yeah. not saying it's easy. But what I am saying is it's easy to figure out where the action is. Because if you don't have control of the United States Senate, right? right. And, you know, the judiciary's done, right? It's not, you know, maybe there won't be another Supreme Court opening, but, uh, but I can tell you, you know, if, if Mitch McConnell's got that Senate, uh, you know, Biden's going to be bowing to him. You're not going to get any. Stuff happens. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to get any policy stuff through. It's Biden will be the lamest of lame duck presidents in American history, and um, and the the ability to begin to claw things back, the ability to rebuild is lost. And so, uh, you know, not, I don't want to I don't want to make people feel like they have an overwhelming task ahead of them. I don't think right. it is an overwhelming task. I think I cover politics. I can tell you. These races that I'm talking about are doable races.
0: Right, it could happen, but and, and, um, and things are changing. The we do yeah. see energy. We, we see energy, right, John? We we see energy with with uh, the row with the Ro ruling is not an esoteric ruling. People's lives are being changed right now. I live in Missouri. Oh, it just yeah, got yeah, real here, it's, right? It's so, I, well, by the way, I'll even put the Missouri seat. Missouri Senate right. seat on the, oh, yeah. as a it, prospect. It actually is with, with Eric yeah. Brighton's and, uh, and now Jack Danforth here in Missouri. For those who don't know, um, former Republican Senator Jack Danforth has come out. Pushing a, an independent candidate. Of all things, how about a segue? Well, I think they call it a throwback, right? Um, callback is the person he's pushing is John Wood, the Republican lawyer on mm-hmm. the, on the, uh, the January 6th committee of all people, um, who we saw on, I think, day two, the hearing number two. Um, and, and that's interesting because Danforth insists that he's got a, uh, a poll that shows a Republican leaning independent could win. Yeah. Um, I hope I'm, Danforth I'm is I'm a right. skeptic. Yeah, I'm a skeptic. It, yeah, I, because you run the risk of dividing the,
1: the vote there and which and i'm so, cool with no no, no <laughs> yeah, but you what, if you, what, what you if, if you divide it the wrong way what if you, right, divide if you divided the, the democrat and, side yeah yeah right and then, so. but i will tell you that that and then you got to look at evan McMullen running out right. In Utah. right and so this is I, I guess what i would the only thing i would emphasize is that um and i don't want people to downplay the governor's races those are incredibly vital especially yep. for the right to choose i actually think that the role ruling from the court. Um, re-elected Tony Evers, the governor of Wisconsin, probably yeah. re-elected Gretchen Whitmer. I think a number of governors yeah. can, will make it through now uh, be, in part because of the, the understanding that, that if they're defeated, women in those states will lose their right to choose. There you go. And beyond even the as bad as it already is. And and so, but I, the Senate thing I want to emphasize, I, have been watch, I watch it really closely. There's a lot of races where there's possibility and um it is a mobilization issue it is a resource issue i understand all that stuff but you want the answer to the question of what do we do pretty damn simple yeah right what you do is you win
0: control of the senate if you want to deal with all these other things we've been talking about which means activate and vote and as a campaign guy say i'm a political campaign guy People ask me all the time. Well, I just don't want to donate. You can you can phone bank. You can you can volunteer. You can field is everything. Knocking on door. The power of knocking on someone's door and saying, "I hope you'll come out and vote. We need you." uh, is very powerful. And and you can do that. You can even go to other states and do that. They they desperately need the help. A a field operation will make all the difference. And if you want to, I tell you what. There's nothing more. And I was scared the first time. The first time I ever went canvassing, I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. <laughs> and yeah, uh, and yeah, I tell you, yeah, you're yeah, like, oh, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. weird. I'm knocking on a total stranger's door and say, hi, you don't know me, but I'm at your front door. Uh, but I tell you, it's really empowering, and it's powerful, and it does work. Um, Can I tell I you mean, one other thing? Sure. Well, I want please. to stick with you on that because it is powerful. and It does work. I, your point is so
1: important. I met a woman from Georgia um, last year, and she's a real active political person. Mm-hmm. and um And she got assigned to a college uh, you know on election day and and they had a polling place there and she was she was watching and she was watching people young people come out who said "Oh, they told me i can 't vote i 'm still registered at home right and she said um, where 's your home and and the so, well i i 'm from you know, about an hour south of here and stuff like that. He says, you got your mother's phone number and the cell phone? And the kid said, yeah. She says, give me your phone. <laughs> Hit the mother's number and said, you know, Mrs. Jones, you know, your daughter, Jen, is, is here. They just told her she can't vote. I want you to, to grab the car, drive up here, pick <laughs> her up, take her home, give her a good dinner and stuff like that. And then you can drive her back tonight or you can drive her back tomorrow morning. Uh, but, you know, she needs to vote. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> what time are you going to be here? All right, I'll see you, see you at 2 o'clock. I'll stay here with Jen, she'll be waiting for you. And the next per- kid who came out, she was doing this left and right. And That's you know what? what? The bombs came. Yeah. It worked. And so I guess what I would suggest to you is, in an emergency moment, have that woman's energy. Yep.
0: Right? There you it. go. That's it. I mean, I, I, there... We have to. I mean, we're at that moment. And, and, and I know a lot of people are tired of hearing, oh, well, you need to vote more or vote harder. But, but that really is the only solution. Well, with that, so any final things to think about, John? I mean, we're kind of at the, the end of the way. To, uh, what, what, what's your last thoughts before I let you go? My last thought before I let you go is that I live in
1: the state of Wisconsin. And uh, and I will tell you that Wisconsin's probably as big a battleground as you're going to find in the race for governor, uh, which is very intense race for U.S. Senate. My U.S. Senator is Ron Johnson, and uh, he got himself in the news a little last week uh, because it was revealed that he was passing, uh, that his office was trying to pass lists of fake electors over to Mike Pence on January 6th. And I just want to note that uh, we shouldn't let that go. The fact of the matter is he lied about it. He lied to Manuraju and other people, you know, walking in the Senate last week. He's been outed. We now know that Ron Johnson was a part of the conspiracy to upend and overturn election results on January 6th. And as we talk about all these other people, we should also recognize that Ron Johnson should be under investigation by the January 6th committee and by the Department of Justice. A sitting senator under investigation just as thoroughly and just as intensely as.
0: Yeah. And we haven't gotten to. We haven't gotten to Ted Cruz and, or and, uh, Josh Hawley. The right. Their <laughs> role. In, yeah. well, I'd love to see Josh Hawley go. Um, with that, I know we're up against an hour. We're kind of up against our timeline. Unfortunately, I don't think we'll take any calls, but, um, so that's been a great, it's been a great chat. So, um, where can we, uh, what do you expect next from you and how can everybody find you online who's listening to our show?
1: Well, you know where to find me on Nichols Uprising on Twitter. That's, that's right. Great. Pontificate and and interact with you quite a bit. Um, yep. And then uh, you go to www.thenation.com. And uh, I can
0: barely control myself. I write so often. So there'll be something there. <laughs> well, keep sending them. We appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's great. Um, and uh, of course, as always, if you know me, you can find me as always on Twitter. I don't think I sleep. At FP Wellman, uh, I've got my work with the Beer Hall Project talking about January 6 and our anti-democratic forces that that followed. Uh, all the social networks, uh, John. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, as always, like I said, after after we publish, you'll find us on Apple and Spotify. I appreciate your time joining us, everybody. Guests, thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, we will be returning again probably this week because there's another, you know just a lot going on in the world. <laughs> if not, you know we'll uh, we'll talk some more. So with that, thank you so much, John. Have a great day. Thank you, guests. Have a great day. And that's our show for today. Thank you.